Welcome to another episode of the RAG podcast. And for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. Since early 2019, I've been interviewing the most successful and innovative recruitment owners to learn how they rose to the top of their game. In season seven, I'm going to be having raw, authentic and insightful conversations with agency owners, entrepreneurs, leaders, people across the industry. And I want to be learning about their ambitions, what's happening behind the scenes in their agencies today and their plans to navigate difficult market conditions. I'll be bringing you the latest and greatest recruitment stories every single week on Wednesdays at noon across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast on this week's show. I'm so excited. As always, I'm excited. But this week, I'm really excited because Chris Redmond, the founder and the chief exec of Red Holt, is coming back on the show for the third time. Chris was uh, a guest I interviewed when I had the in-person recordings back in 2019. So Q4 2019, he came into my office in East London and we recorded in person together. And it was one of my favorite ever episodes. It was an episode that stood out because Chris was so open and had a really clear vision for how he wanted to run his business. So in 2019, he wanted to be a digital nomad. They'd literally shut the office. They'd just got rid of their office. They'd given up on the lease and they were going completely remote. And back then, pre-pandemic world, I'll be honest, I thought he was a bit mad. I thought he was a bit crazy. I was like, I get the whole flexible working, but to only work in coffee shops and bars and from the kitchen table when you've got an established company was, was going to be dangerous. Six months later, the world went into lockdown. Nine months later, he came back on my daily show, the Red, the RAG Report, and told quite openly about how well his business was getting on and the fact that actually the systems he'd put in place pre-pandemic meant that he had no real disruption at all. Fast forward another three years, and now Red Holt are still only eight people, but running internationally. Chris lives in the UAE, um, in Dubai, and he's still got a team in the UK. They operate mainly in the uh, media and broadcasting space. They are retained headhunters with a forensic process-driven way of working. So all their projects are retained. They call them campaigns, and they have a unique methodology of, of how they um, recruit, which we talk about in this episode. Um, and Chris has built a business, which today has been an amazing lifestyle business, running at about 60% profit. Moving forward, he's now got the challenge of building a business that can be uh, sold. He wants to have an exit plan. And it's how does he navigate now, making it not the Chris Redmond show, because he's the sole BD provider to the company. How does he build a business that generates its own new clients, gets more from existing clients and has the infrastructure and the people big enough, not too big, but big enough that they could exit the business in the future. So in this episode, we talk about everything and, and all of those things, plus his personal life. This guy's lost 35 kilograms in weights in the last six months, having a meeting at the doctors, telling him he was uh, on, a, on a road to disaster. He's, he's lost 35 kilos. He looks incredible. So there's loads of professional and personal development and business or recruitment agency growth stories in this episode. You don't want to miss it. Without further ado, Chris, welcome back to the for the third time to the RAG podcast. It's a pleasure, Sean. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. We're, we're, we're doing this in, uh, well, I'm in beautiful, sunny Sheffield. You're in the miserable Dubai location that uh, always makes me feel jealous um 
previously we did it together in London, then we did it remotely in the pandemic, and now we're we're as I mentioned on my post today before recording, you know, we're doing this. We're both running quite global businesses now, even though Sheffield doesn't sound global, my client base truly is. Um, Chris, do us a favor, mate. Before we go and tell the story and everything else, for anyone who doesn't know you in Red Hole, will you just give us the bird's eye, like no no detail to the background, just who you are, location, headcount, what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Chris Redmond. I'm the chief executive at Red Hole. I'm one of the co-founders uh, with my wife, Amanda. Um, Red Hole is an organization that we've built around a really distinct clinical uh, forensic methodology. Our clients are global and they're, they're although we're becoming more, much more specialized now, they're in a range of different sectors. Uh, I think we've got eight people. Uh, in the business now and they are located across our office in Essex which is in Chelmsford and here in Dubai yeah so you 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 know you came on the show in 2019 Q420 which is mental to think that's crazy yeah years ago. I mean I remember it really well um and you you know at that point I think was it was a business two or three years old you started a similar time to me didn't you around 2017 yeah, yeah, yeah. it was two or three yeah you'd just given notice in your office and, and I posted about it this morning I remember thinking this guy's have gone a little bit doolallier like he's going <laughs> completely remote and I liked the thought of working from home at the time but I didn't realize and I, I kind of felt like the world was going that way but you you'd already made the plunge to say no office remote yeah. and I remember saying to you so you're gonna work in coffee shops bars restaurants from the kitchen you're like yeah and yeah so what? So how do you just just recapping on from then to the pandemic, which was a six to nine month period? How set up were you when the world changed? How would you describe your emotion? Because you guys you know, shouldn't have seen much change. No, we didn't. It was like it was we were so lucky. You know, we didn't have no one had the playbook for what was happening then. But I was looking around me and I can remember calling you one of the first nights and me and you going, what's going on? What's going to happen? And then we did the Code Red series webinars. Yeah. I don't know if you remember them. And um, and I felt as I was watching and talking to everyone else in our kind of peer group, other founders and owners and MDs, and they were scrambling. You know, there's a lot of wheel spin happening at that time. But we were, all, we were already used to running the business without having line of sight on all of our consultants and being objective driven. Um, so for us, it was like, OK, we're just, we're just settling into another day. It's just that we don't have the choice to all meet up because we used to meet up with the team at the start of the week and at the end of the week. We'd always start the week with each other and wrap up the week with each other, typically somewhere cool in the city or something like that. So, you know, it's a good springboard into the week and a, and a good wrap up. But we just carried on. It was, you know, it's like we'd been doing practice laps and then COVID hit and everyone else started with cold tires and we'd already been doing practice laps. Yeah, and it was just like systems and processes are built. Um, and then when did you, because you did, you came back on the show and like I say, I felt like I knew you would be, but you were thriving in the pandemic. And then we, you know, we did our, we worked together on Project 500 where we raised all the money for laptops, yeah. which was great. Um, and then after that, I remember a time where you said to me, I think we need a base now. We need to go back. And you built, was it the clubhouse you built in your... That's right. Yeah, it was the clubhouse. That's right. So we had, um, I got, I got to a point where my philosophy altered the pendulum swung and I thought actually every tribe needs a cave. 
you know, we need a home. Because what I could see was our, we're so methodology driven and I could see that because we were not together, everyone was putting their own different personality traits and slightly nuanced versions of the methodology. And I was like, no, absolutely not. That's not how this kitchen works. We need to all do the same thing. And that's mostly because I do all the BD always have done for Red Holt. So I need to know that the promises that I'm making are being absolutely forensically kept by all of our consultants. Um, so I thought we need to get everyone back together because they learn a lot from being with each other. So the empty space above the building that was our garage, we paid, I think it was about 20 grand or so and converted it into an eight man office. Mm. And, we, and we started getting people into the clubhouse and I loved it up there. There were some of the funniest times um, in the business up there with the whole team. But um, yeah, we, we, we got our because we were working in multiple time zones, we had another fen- uh, gate made in the fence so that the guys could come in themselves. They didn't have to come through the house and they could just go straight in because we were running campaigns in places like Bangkok so and, and the Far East. So the guys would be starting these campaigns because we host them, we concierge all of our campaigns for our clients. They'd be starting at four in the morning. You know, we'd be sitting down having our breakfast at the house and we'd see people emerging from the from the door of the clubhouse. We'd be like, Oh yeah, James has been running a campaign in Thailand this morning. Campaign for a lot of contingent recruiters, they'll be like, What what what's he on about? Like, you know, you yeah. work you just work jobs, you get jobs, you work jobs. So what what's a campaign? Yeah, so stage four of our process is what we call the crescendo moment. And it's where we orchestrate all of the interviews with all of the hiring managers in one day, but we top and tail it with a kickoff and a wash up. And we've got specific methodologies for those components as well. So the way that we kick off, um, they'll have chosen who they're going to meet anyway, because they've seen the digital shortlist. But we actually have got this graph where we plot the coordinates of the candidates that they're going to meet and we disclose what our um, interpretation of each candidate actually is so that the people who are going to be doing the interviews get immersed in what is going to be incumbent on them that day to make the decision. And we make sure that we say to them at the start, like, welcome to your campaign day. At the end of this day, you're going to be crystallizing your decision on who you want us to extend an offer to. So we excite them about it. We create that experience. You're an expectation, aren't you, that- yeah, absolutely. It's like neuro-linguistic programming. Yeah, we're, we're softly sowing the expectation that you're here today because we're going we're gonna to do this. And, and we build that up, not just on the day, throughout the timeline, because, you know, we milestone everything, Sean, um, yeah. heavily project-focused. And then at the end of the day, we've got a similar methodology to helping them crystallize the decision in a very objective way so that everybody feels heard, everybody feels as though they've shared their opinion on which candidate was good and not and why. And, and then we bring it all together and, and we help them see visually who they should extend the offer to. And more often than not, there'll be more than one candidate in what we call the yes box. And we say to them, look, how many of these candidates do you want to extend an offer to? And, and sometimes they'll be in there to make one offer. But if it's a sales role, particularly, and they've got more than one candidate in the yes box, they'll say, yeah, go for it. Extend them all an offer. Wow. So you, you if to understand your business model, you're the face a bit like the me that, you know, we, we talked about our profile being similar. We'll talk about it later, but you know, we're both the kind of front end of the business. And yeah. then once people come through you, you then, they, they, they are assigned a project manager, if you like, who's going to then take their campaign, their project and run it end to end. And then absolutely, does every individual in the business run their own campaigns? Do they work together? How do you structure that? No, they run their own campaigns. They've got autonomy within the methodology. As long as they're following that, 
they can do it. They set, within two hours of a role briefing, we always send uh, a milestone table. So we've got an email template that we send that um, stipulates everything that's going to happen throughout the course of our uh, five-stage process for them. And we put the dates for every single thing. And we also highlight the dates when there is going to be an activity that's incumbent on the client. And then when they come back and say, yeah, those dates are fine for me, we lock those dates into their diary. So for example, feedback on a shortlist. Sometimes you can be waiting for ages for that. You've sent your shortlist. We haven't had feedback yet. We haven't had feedback yet. Well, we lock that date in a week or two weeks before. So when we send the digital shortlist, uh, you know, they know that they've got time. These time-starved, busy executives have actually got time and have had time protected in their diary. And on occasions, you know, we actually send them um, a digital voucher via the Starbucks app to go and get themselves a coffee, take their laptop and watch all the videos and the psychometric report on our digital shortlist. So, you know, we encourage them to do it and we make it an, part of the experience for them. You've totally changed process of what most recruitment agencies do right and we, i remember when we first met and we first started working together in 2019 i was really really impressed with the way you took like a project management methodology from external industries and brought that into your own firm and yeah. and you did it's, i mean we've, we've hired through you through you and it is genuinely different right um but how scalable is that because that's what i think a lot of people would say you still you know you still yeah. got a relatively small team how scalable is your model or does it only lean to a face of a chris redmond and a and a strong group yeah. behind like is it is it a could it become the next salt or robert walters or whatever like with the model yeah you run so it's interesting sean because up until probably six to nine months ago me and amanda were in, in different spaces when it came to why we're doing red hope for amanda it's a lifestyle business you know really nice lifestyle business but for me you now i've had big jobs in the corporate chapter of my career before coming into recruitment and and i've seen how the world works you know in terms of transactions m a manifesting an event and i've always wanted to do something like that and now we're both on the same page so it's put the lens over the business for me to look through and go and to answer that question and the conclusion that I'm at is that because of the methodology, it's immensely scalable because you just drag and drop. You know, we know exactly how our methodology works forensically. Like, you know, it's five stages on the surface, but underneath that, there's 84 intricate steps. Now, some of those things is a two minute job or a 30 second job, but all of them need to work. It's like I compare it to a Formula One car. You know, every nut and bolt has to be in the right place and done in the right way in order to move at the velocity that the potential suggests that it can. So, and because of that, we, you know, we've been doing it for years. It's immensely scalable. And I've got, I've got a few ideas and a few conversations that I've got going at the moment around exactly how we do that in different jurisdictions in different regions from Australia to Canada. You know, Canada's, we hire a lot in Canada, believe it or not. And it's a really, really active market. Um, you know, what, what one of the, things that I'm quite looking forward to if we pursue this and these things crystallize is actually twice a year running a launch, what I'm going to call a launch pad, where we get these guys in who are going to start the Red Hulk pop-ups and we do an immersive training session somewhere cool in Dubai for 10 days where I go through with them exactly. And I use some of my team like Megan James and Amanda, you know, this is exactly how we do it. And we train them so that when they go back to Singapore, Australia, wherever to start their Red Hulk pop-up, they know exactly how to do it. So is it so, almost like franchising it a little bit? Yeah, kind of. I, I, I affectionately use the term a hybrid franchise because the thing that makes it different is 
um, I, I will treat those people like a team. You know, they will be my management team. They'll be running their own business, but we'll have weekly management meetings where all the MDs will be on that call. So, you know, they'll feel like they're part of a team. We'll all be using the same ATS. We'll all be using the same systems. And that's where I'll be able to see the metrics for governance of the business. So they'll be public within that group anyway, so that they can see each other's metrics. But I'll be able to see what each franchise owner has signed up to and whether or not they're compliant with the stipulations in the agreement. The profile of you, though, and again, I, I think we're quite similar. Like, you know, there's not that many people who are comfortable being on camera, standing up, constantly putting themselves out there, vulnerable, meeting clients, you know, like, and I think to for you to get the same level of traction in, in different regions, it's probably the limitation of my business, right? That there's only one of me. And yeah. I'm happy with that. And we built a business around it. But how do you, like, is that the, is it to try and find like, like, like-minded people mm. that could take a red hole in those regions? No, not really. I think that the, the idea would be for me to continue, you know, to a large extent, Sean, what you helped start in my career, which is, you know, to embrace the potential of social media and the proximity that that can generate to markets that you'd never usually reach. And for me to become within that constellation that I've just mentioned, the kind of tip of the spear, you know, the social capital associated to that can benefit the whole group. But actually underneath that, what I'm interested in is people um, who have got specialisms, because if there's one thing that I've learned since that first podcast where we were much more generalist, yeah. you know, the traction that I've generated by rebranding myself as the recruiter of choice in the broadcasting and media market, it's been an amazing chapter of my career. You know, the impact and the gravity that I've got within that circle, I'd never anticipated being able to generate that level of success. So dragging and dropping that model in on how you create communities of specialisms, not just you being the specialist recruiter, developing a community around you is would be part of the launch pad event that we help people to do. But they've got to have their own specialism to be even considered really as part as being a, a lead for one of those hybrid franchises. So for you. To go back on that, because if people don't understand what we're saying, so when you when you first when we first met and worked together, you you were pretty generalist. Your role was we forensically fill Very. a role, like a sort of a, se a mid to senior level role that a company yeah. was burning needed support. So it was like anyone, anywhere needs a director type role fill in. You could do it. And Absolutely. I remember saying to you, there's benefits to that and there's negatives to that. One of the biggest negatives is you're never recycling the community, the community. Like so, when you you're always starting from scratch. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it's a bit like going, I'm really hungry. I'll go shopping. I'll fill the fridge. An hour later, I'm hungry. Oh, I'll just go back shopping. No, you go back to the fridge, right? And that's yeah. where an expert, a niche recruiter knows the market inside out. And they're constantly playing in the same room and yeah. play musical chairs with people. And then I saw you pop up with OTT, which I didn't even know what oh. that meant when you did it. Yeah. So that, is that the terminology for online? OTT, red. Yeah, OTT. It's over the top. So OTT is, you know, in the, we'll probably all remember, and a lot of people will still have a box on top of their TV set, you know, Skybox or, you know, out here a Do Box or whatever. That's where it comes from. But it's the provision of additional uh, content services. That's where the term OTT comes from. So, but now it's often built into the TV set. You know, most TV sets now have got Netflix and Amazon Prime and all that stuff built in, but the legacy of the terminology still exists in terms of OTT. So it's that whole market. And actually, Sean, you, you know, 
COVID was the springboard for that as well, because we were lucky to be to have some clients in that space and where a lot of markets dried up and there was no recruitment. If there was one market in COVID that absolutely blossomed because we were all sitting at home watching Netflix, it was the the OTT market. And I just happened, it was total luck. I just happened to be increasingly specializing in roles for a couple of businesses there. And then off the back of that, that's 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 become the market that I operate in predominantly. 95% of what I do personally is in the OTT broadcast and media sector. And, and I've actually taken that to another level as well. You know, it's some of the initiatives that I'm running now are really strategic initiatives for that market outside of Red Hole. You know, we've got a thing called the Broadcast Talent Manifesto. It's a, I run it with a lady called Carrie Wooten. And it's because there's a deficit of talent with virtualized and cloud-based skill sets coming into broadcasting because there's so many other sectors now that are more appealing for a younger generation and sexier, you know, crypto and fintech and all this sort of stuff. But actually broadcast used to be the destination of choice from a career perspective. If you wanted to go and play with toys and you're a bit of a techie nerd, you know, now there's loads of places where you can go and do that. So we've started the talent manifesto and there's some massive names sponsoring that, you know, we've got six digits worth of sponsorship behind that and carries the face of that. You know, I I support Carrie, we we co-founded it, but that's just one thing that came off the back of that whole OTT thing. What does that mean then? So you're you've created a training academy for people to, to yeah, basically job in broadcast. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the technology in broadcasting now. I tell you, here's a good example, Sean. So in broadcasting, you'll be familiar with the fact that when you go and watch the football, there's a massive van outside the ground with a satellite yeah. dish on the top. Yeah, that's called an OB van, outside broadcast van. Those things. For generations, there's been engineers that live in those things. They spend their whole weekend in them. They live away from their families. And it's a truck, right? So there's thousands of those things driving all around the country, all around Europe, all around the world. It's an ecological disaster as well as affecting people's lives. Now, people don't need to do that. You, you know, you can have live productions that are produced in the cloud. You can have your the guy doing the commentary in one country, the guy doing the editing in a different country, and they're all doing it from home on their laptops. It's a totally different skill set to traditional broadcasting engineers. And the industry can't bring that skill set in quick enough to satisfy the demand that uh, many studios and uh, direct-to-consumer broadcasters are going to where they're using these virtualized services. So Carrie and I identified this, and what we're doing is working with some massive names, you know, the likes of Microsoft, for example, who are sponsoring some of these things to to actually try and generate programs to elevate what the what careers in broadcasting are like. You know, it's totally outside of Red Hole, but I love it because it means I'm on the pitch with all of the with all of the companies that I'm actually trading with at Red Hole and developing credibility and gravity with them through something that's not just trading with them. Yeah. Wow. Makes sense. So another highlight over the last few years has been your switch to Dubai, right? So I remember I I I mean my story. I mean I was listening to the end of of our episode this morning just to familiarize myself and yeah, I listened I mean, to I it last night. I was with my ex, wasn't I? And I was referring to life with with her in Essex and I'm thinking, fucking hell, that feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. And uh obviously I met you in I've been out and seen you in Dubai with my wife and and stepkids and um when we first went to Dubai together, which was I think was it early 21? Yeah, it was early 21. I mean, I've loved the place since I got there in 24. I think 24 years ago, I went, and I've been non-stop since. I think I've been about 12 times. And I've always said I want to live there. And we, when we went in 21, 
we both, I mean, Lauren had never been. She was like, oh, I think I'd love to live here as well. I remember we got back and I don't know what it was. I think you were, you were videoed. I think your Instagram was there. And I said, oh, mate, I'm thinking of living in Dubai soon. And you were like, I'm literally sorting my visa out now. Yeah, yeah I remember that. I mean, you did it and I didn't. And my reasons are more around the kids and the, their dad. I, don't, I just don't think it's the right decision to take him away from. Yeah. Or to give even put that out there yet. So I've given myself a 10-year timeline. Oh, yeah. When Amira and Gabriel are 18, which is 10 years, I think I'm well in, within my rights to, to, to do that. Um, but you went and did it. So talk us through the journey of going, right, we're a UK-based business, very Essex-driven, internationally recruiting. I know that. Mm. And then you've just gone and up sticks and ended up in Dubai. Yeah, so well, it was literally... New Year's Day morning, two years ago, me and Amanda are sitting at our kitchen table at our house in Essex. Um, and I'm 44 now. And I remember saying to her, business has done really well. We've got an amazing house in Spain, amazing house here in the UK, all the sexy cars, all the, all the toys. Yeah. But what's the next chapter about? Where are we going? What are we actually doing? You know, we just, we're just making money. It's not, it, yeah, it, was, it felt like that. And, um, and, I, and, and I was doing a lot of MBA court lectures at the time for a university that was based out here called the Holt Business School, H-U-L-T. And, um, and, when, and from 50 on, I'd quite like to just do MBA lectures. I love doing them. It's when giving back and doing that with um, the full-time students and the executive students is brilliant. Um, so I said, I started talking about get being closer to the campus because the main campus is here in Dubai. Amanda had never lived abroad. I've lived in Italy and Malta before. And over the course of that breakfast, we made the decision that we were going to move to Dubai. I was like, well, it'd be good for me to be closer to the campus for the lectures. She wanted to do it anyway. We were digital nomads. We were well-practiced at running the business. Um, and, the, and the main thing actually, Sean, was that our boys are young, you know, really young babies. So we were like, it's not going to disrupt their lives. Let's do it now by april we'd moved to dubai wow. um yeah that was it so uh so that, that was talk us through the process like what did you to get, to get so out we came out, yeah so we came out here we came out here for like two weeks two yeah it was two weeks i think um in march uh i found a company that i met a few companies and then decided on one to help set up the visas set up the company all of that sort of stuff um, and then I said to them, look, how fast does this go? And they're like, oh, it could take months. It's like, I've not got months. I need to get this done in two weeks. I'm here to get this done. So we got it all done in two weeks. Um, Why were you so desperate to do it so quick? Because, Well, to get all the visas and all that sort of stuff, because I, wa I wanted to, I just wanted to know that it was all done. And, you know, my brother lives out here as well, and he runs a recruitment company, as you know, Sean. And it, and it took him months to get everything set up. And I was like, no, I wanna, I'm not going to do that. I want to get it done. So we got it. We got it all done. We used a company called Virtue Zone to get it done, um, and it was really. I would recommend them. There's some. There's some other ones. There's another one called Creative Zone. There's a guy called Lorenzo that runs that. I'd really recommend them. I think Lorenzo's a quality operator, um, and and there's a number of others as well, like most things. Um, but I actually spoke to someone yesterday who's moving their business out here, and I gave him some advice. And they're the two names that I mentioned: Creative Zone and Virtue Zone. But um, 
I remember the hardest thing about it was actually setting up the bank account because everything has to be sequential. You have to do this and you have to do that. So you can't yeah, yeah. do anything in parallel. And that's frustrating for someone like me. So it's like, okay, now that hoop's done. What's the next one? What's the next one? What's the next one? And I can remember, you know, setting up the bank account. I think it's a bit different now because there's a bank out here called Wiu, W-I-U, and they do it all digitally, I think. But setting up the bank account, I had, you had, to, had to go in and meet them face to face. It was like going back to the 80s or the 70s in the UK, you know, could just can do it online or not just online so that was the hardest thing about it but it's like anything you know it's marathon mentality as long as you as long as you continue to step forward you're getting closer to the line so that was what it was about it's like let's just get this done we had to find schools had to find where to live so amanda was dashing about doing all of that while i was jumping through all the governmental and regulatory hoops but yeah we got it done and what uh, what was it really like? like? I mean, we spoke, we had dinner together in Dubai in January, was it? When was it? Yeah, I think. I think it was March, actually. Um, but when we, when we, yeah, it was about March, we went out. We did it the first half term. Um, and I remember you saying, look, there's positives, but it's not as easy and as it's not as, as rosy as people think. Like, what's the reality mm. like of moving over to the UAE from the UK? Um. I have to admit, it's grown on me. I struggled for the first few months. I, I did really struggle. Amanda loved it from day one. Like, absolutely loved it. Um, you know, I've got two kids, as you know, Sean, in the UK. And I generally travel back twice a month for every other weekend to see them. Uh, so I struggled with that and being so far away from them. Um, I... I I just, I just struggled with it at first. It, it, it grew on me. Now I absolutely love it. Um, and the main reason actually is because to me, being here, the air just stinks of ambition. You know, everyone's here with a sense of purpose. There's a three million person population in Dubai. And 85% of them are expats, yeah. working expats, right? And everyone's got to have a visa. So everyone's here to work. You know, there's that there's the massive undercurrent of wanting to be successful. And I often describe it like that. You can smell it in the air. Everyone you meet, from the person that serves you at the coffee shop up to CEOs, everyone wants to collaborate on getting something done. I have to stop myself from – I could have a new business idea every day and find people that want to be a, a business partner. But Amanda's like, not again. Come on. Just she is. Yeah, yeah, you're right, mate. She is. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it grew on me, and now I absolutely love it. I was, um, I was with someone the other day. And they said, do you think you'll ever move back to the UK? And it was one of the first times where I thought, you know, what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I will. Like, you know, we, we're loving it at the moment. And the best thing about it is just seeing our boys blossom. That Like, it's, it's a great environment for kids. Yeah, I bet. I mean, literally, the schooling's good. It's safe. The weather's obviously incredible for most of the year. What? Do you, how do you find the summer out there? Is that a time where you come back and spend some time? What, what, We've done both. We've done both. So we've been out here for nearly two years now. The, the first summer, we stayed out here. Um, and the thing is, Sean, the difference is everywhere out here is built for mega heat, right? So everywhere is air-conditioned. You know, everything's air-conditioned. So, and there's so much to do. So that's just the way you deal with the summer. You don't really want to go out too much. And it's actually like one of them... Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. I used to work in Sweden, right? And it was exactly the same in Sweden in the winter. You didn't want to go out. So it's just the the, the, op the opposite of that. This year, we came back for the summer and I really struggled with it. I really, I really struggled with it because I was like, God, there's no routine. You know, you're visiting this person and that person. And, 
you know, we were living in our house in, in Essex, but it's, I just couldn't get into the routine. I couldn't get into the routine of it. So me and Amanda have both said that next summer we're going to stay, we're going to stay out here. We're, we're, we're going to stick it out here. House, you've rented that house out now, haven't you? So you, you've Yeah, yeah. We've, we've rented it out now. It was a no-brainer. You know, we had that massive house in Essex, and I used to use it every other weekend when I was back with my son. And I even had the cars sitting in the garage for me to use economically it's stupid yeah. to be honest it was a bit flamboyant and um so we've rented that out now the guy who the guy who is living in that now is the ceo of the uk supercar rally so he's got the garage full of some sexy toys have so you, uh have you, got your cars? have you got rid of them or what's the no nah, got rid of them got rid of them every yeah it's got rid of them every everything in the uk that i could shift or monetize has has been and what do you do now do you just rent a hotel and Get yeah, get Airbnbs. So, and it's better as well. You know, my son is 13 and he loves his mountain biking. So when I go back now, he can be closer to his mates because before I was landing, driving from whatever airport I landed at all the way to Reading, picking him up, driving all the way to Essex, staying for all of Friday, Friday night and Saturday night. And then on Sunday, dropping him back off in Reading and driving straight back to Heathrow and then on the overnight flight home Yeah, every other weekend. And, um, and, and now I can just get, get off at Heathrow, pick up the hire car, straight to Reading, stay somewhere in Reading with him. He can see his mates and go out mountain biking with them while I do whatever. Maybe see my daughter. She's she's 18 now, so she works and wants to do her own thing. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's better. Logistically, it's much better. Yeah. And you just get a nice Airbnb or a hotel. And yeah. And I like yeah. it, actually. I, I kind of like... I'm quite uncomfortable. I don't even like having a desk, Sean. You know, that's probably where the digital nomad thing originated from. So for me, staying in different Airbnbs and new places yeah, is kind of exciting. I quite like it. That sounds amazing. What, what's it been like running the business from Dubai? So you obviously you've still got a team in the UK. How do you manage yeah. the communication? How do you manage the relationship with them? Because that must be, some of them must find it difficult to see you two living in Dubai and they're not and it looks cool and it's, yeah. and it's not. And <laughs> how do you manage well, that? You know, well, well, we fly them all out here every six weeks. We always do that. We've always done that. And it's quite interesting because I sort of feel as though they may be even getting a bit bored of it. You know, at first it was like, yeah, we get flown out to Dubai for a week every six weeks. And now it's like their second home. You know, we rent Airbnbs for them. So we put them all in apartments. And um, at first we were going out, taking them out to nice restaurants and all that sort of stuff. And everyone wanted to do that. And we run the incentives as well when they come out here. And for the last one, they were like, can we do something other than just going to a Michelin star restaurant and an amazing bar? And we're like, yeah, what do you want to do? Um, maybe just go to a water park. We're like, okay, that's what you want to do. They had a great time. I mean, I've never seen them smile more. It was like, like taking a bunch of seven-year-olds out. We had a fantastic well, we'll time. Take someone else next time. I'm, I'm always available. Yeah, you're welcome to join, mate. Well, just... You want to you bring me out? I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. So, but but we've I think we all still struggle with it on, you know, on a, with a certain degree of frequency, but um, but that's no different to anything else. You know, it works. We get them all out here regularly, so we're always together regularly. That's important. Um, the only thing, actually, it's probably more for me and Amanda because now the time difference with the UK is four hours. <laughs> so, you know, me and Amanda generally don't finish working most nights. Once we've got the kids to bed, the laptops will be open and we'll be working. And we're working till 9 or 10 o'clock most nights. And if I'm being totally honest, more so Amanda than me, because she yeah. runs the delivery side of the business. So the, all the consultants are constantly speaking to Amanda and she's constantly on at them because of the way we run our assignments. You know, it's intense. 
So yeah, um, reality. A bit of space in the morning because no one's awake. So you might get a couple of hours to go to the gym or whatever. Yeah. And, you, and then once you're on, you're on until a bit later. That's it. That's exactly it. You know, as you know, I've got a few other businesses now. So I'll generally do my local businesses here in the morning but like for example yesterday morning amanda's got into golf which i love so she went for her first round of golf we went for a, onto the emirates par three yesterday morning and we got the chance to do that you know we teed off at nine we were done by 10 uh, you know and then, and then we start working and we're still ahead of most of our markets yeah. so we just make it work it's like anything you know you find a way to make it work so tell me about your your other businesses so you mentioned you've got i i do see you've got you are an ideas man i'm an ideas man but you're you're an ideas man and like i said i think i frustrate ama quite a lot because i'm like i've got an idea and he's like oh here we go like just yeah. fucking and some of them Looks are crap some of them go nowhere and others have made us a lot of money right so I've yeah. done all, I, he knows to and he's not an ideas guy he doesn't want to be he's got no in, intention of being so he, he likes listening and sometimes gives me this face like here we go again and you must get that from Amanda. Oh, mate, yeah. I'm sure the look that Amma gives you when you say, I've got a new idea, you know, that's yeah. the same that Amanda gives me. But, um, yeah, the businesses that we've got, as you know, part of our methodology when we, before we even approach people is we, for the last three years, we have done AI-based psychometric evaluations of high-potential candidates before we approach them. And then when we approach them, that's part of the content that we use in order to make our approach seductive and arresting. Um, do it. Just go and look at their social channels it, and all of that. Yeah, it checks three thousand data points within five seconds uh, about the individual, and it can use a number of different internet gateways to as a unique identifier for the individual. The CEO of that business in California, I got, I've got to know really well. Um, I think they went for their Series B or C funding recently, and 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 Drew sent me a message and said, "Look, Chris, we need a we could do with a distributor in the Middle East. Would you?" Would you like to do it? I was like, hell yeah, absolutely. You know, for three years, I was the VP of indirect sales for a global uh, software business. So I know to set up partnership channels and alliances and all of that stuff. And um, I said, yeah, absolutely. So we sorted out a contract where I've got exclusivity on the UAE for the platform. They reskinned it for me. So my business is called Red Hole AI. Mm -hmm. um, and, the, and the value added service that we do locally is not only selling them the platform, but the most important part is how they activate the, the value of the platform, which is me or my team here looking at their business and their sales methodology, because some of them are in real estate. Some of them are um, like supercar re resellers, right? You know, um, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, that sort of stuff. And when they're selling these high value things, not just about looking at the platform, it's about training your guys on how to integrate, how to use that platform into your sales approach. So that's the value of what we create as the value added reseller locally and all of the training. Have you, you got a team on that or is it just you? So it's just me at the moment. There's someone that I've got lined up who's going to join me because we're sort of beginning to get a bit of trajectory now um, in terms of ramping up our pipeline on that one. And that really excites me. So I really like that business. Then we've got a podcast studio. Uh, that's actually, I'm in the building. That was, that's at a place called Radisson Red, which fits perfectly into the um, Red Hulk group. So that's really cool. We've got some real high profile people that are using it. We've signed up the British Business Group, which is massive in Dubai. And they're running, they've signed up for their whole first series of podcasts. And they're going to be interviewing some of their most influential members in the studio and a few well-known celebrities from the UK that live out here that are going to use yeah. it as well. And then um, we were the seed investors, Amanda and I, for a company called Bobcheck, 
um, three years ago. Uh, and the guy that runs it uh, is a guy called Dave Clark. He's over here at the moment, actually. He got here today. And Bob Check is um, software for recruitment businesses that checks people's profiles within the candidate ownership period to make sure that CVs that you've submitted speculatively or even have been for interview don't end up working at the organization that you sent them to without your without without you knowing it doesn't automatically uh, release an invoice it just notifies the agency that that has happened um, and that's taken off like last week we signed up a massive global rec recruitment organization i'm not allowed to say who but one of the, the biggest uh, in their rpo division and their uh, standard recruitment division for bob check um, and we've saved 1.2 million pounds for of agency fees now so that's going really well we're three years into that business now and i love running that with dave yeah it's a, it's a really really solid platform so they're the main they're, they're the other things that i spend my mornings doing before red hulk comes online and is it i suppose there's some some of them are connected but they're not all that connected so you have to kind of get yeah. your mindset into a different market or a different pitch mode and yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't struggle to do that. I don't struggle to do that, to be honest with you. I suppose that the reason that I don't is because if you think of each of those propositions, I've got proximity to them. They're, they're all something that I either love, have loved, or can see the distinct value of. Like Bob Check, I run a recruitment business. So I can see what the value of that is. I don't really have anything to do with Bob Check apart from working with Dave. You know, we've we've recently brought in a guy called Kalpesh Baxi as well, who's pretty yeah, well known in the industry. Cal yeah, so Calps is on the board of Bob Check as well. We work really closely with Calps, um, but I, you know, I know that business really well because I can. I, we actually ran the beta trial of Bob Check on Red Holt and immediately found fifty grand's worth of fees. So we were like, "That's just paid for our investment." Wow. Like, yeah, it's crazy. So there's that one. I love the whole podcast thing. You know, you just probably I could probably blame you for that, Sean. So the podcast studio is something that I'm really passionate about, and that we're two weeks into that, and it's already making money. So yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. And I love the people that I meet from doing that. The people using the studio is brilliant for my networking for businesses, and the Red Hulk AI platform. That's that's part of the game changer within our mix. We use that at Red Hulk still. So I'm really passionate about that. So the way that I pitch that to other businesses comes across with real authenticity and conviction because it's true we use that in my own business so although they're different there's there's those distinct themes in terms of my proximity to each one of those so i don't struggle to flip when it comes to speaking to people about them it's like you, you mentioned as well before the episode you put me into your your ai platform so what yeah. tell me what came out because it was similar to your own profile yeah, absolutely. So what it does at a surface level is it gives you a thing called a disk profile and it, also, and it also breaks that disk profile down to see what proportions of each color you are. So red people, Amanda's a red person, right? I call red people, lead me, follow me or get out of my way type people. Mm -hmm. Typically sales leaders will be a red profile. Yeah. Um, Blue people are diligent individuals. They The main risk with the blue person is paralysis. Accountants or scientific yeah, careers, yeah. generally what they'll gravitate towards. Green people are highly principled people. If you ask a green person to do something that violates their value set, you're going to have an uphill struggle yeah. trying to get them to agree to that. Me and you are yellow people. Yeah. We're I've yellow. Right? Surrounded by idiots, which taught me there a you lot go. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yellow people typically end up in marketing jobs, actually. Yeah. So that's not surprising. Yeah, uh, 
I think they share a little bit with the Reds. I mean, you you have a little bit of everything, don't you? you everyone's got a blend of all of them. Absolutely. Um, I think yeah. there's definitely parts of me that are red, but I'm not a full-on red. I'm definitely more creative than some reds. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I I um I I I, lo I looked at your profile before coming on here. And it was amazing because me and you are like a DNA match. Like we're yellow, yellows. <laughs> and the other thing actually, Sean, that reinforces that to me is yellow people are typically people that will maintain and keep long-term relationships like me and you have with each other. Yeah. And, um, and don't struggle to do that because they're natural networkers, yellow, yellow people yeah. are. So I'll send you your profile afterwards. Yeah, but the way we do. use that at Red Holt, yeah, the way we use it at Red Holt is when we're looking at a high-potential individual, we don't just look at their professional competence and pedigree to match it with the job description. We look at their psychometric proclivities and their likely personality to match it with the culture of the business that we're intending to put them into. And then when we reach out and we're able to talk to them about that, it's highly, highly personalized. It's impossible for that to be spam when we, when we do the reach out to them. And generally that's why I think we get the phenomenal response Did rates that we do. Driven through the AI, or are you doing that yourself? No, we, we download the psychometric evaluation, and then we will generally attach that for each candidate to the approach. Yeah. How much are you, so when, are you seeing AI is going to keep changing and evolving the, the bit that you guys have to do? Yeah, so the guys over at the manufacturer for that platform are always working on new ways to evolve it. The latest release is absolutely crazy, Sean. You know, I can go into the platform and write an email to someone. And if they're a red, it will rewrite that email for me on how that person will best receive that yeah. communication or if they're a greener. And you can even integrate it now. They've got an API into Gmail where the same thing happens in Gmail. So you'll be writing the email and it will be rewriting it for you in real time whilst you're typing it. So well, it's I, unbelievable. I only just, I've only just started using ChatGPT, right? Which is um, it's ChatGPT, but built in your email. So like when you yeah. type in your email, it can you can just give it a prompt and it'll just bang out the big email. What I love is a prompt. It gives you a big email and then you just cut it down. Yeah. I find it much faster than... Yeah typing up myself i mean i don't send that many emails myself but for my team as well i think it's been amazing it is nuts how much AI. let me ask you a question sean let me ask you a question you just said you don't use email that much what would you say the percentage blend is between how much you use whatsapp to email i'd say 70 percent whatsapp yeah me too i'll tell you the way and i feel about email and linkedin like you know yeah me too if you message me on LinkedIn, you'll get a quicker response than on email. 100%. Me too. I a lot of shit on email that I don't read. Like, it's just I, complete. The amount of people that say, question for you, Sean. I'm like, another spam technology company trying to sell me something. Yeah. And, Same. And it's just not good enough. Whereas LinkedIn, obviously, there's still a bit of, auto, there's a lot of automation on it. But I feel like it's, I can see the person's face when I get the message. I feel more connected yeah. to it. And then WhatsApp, yeah. they're like levels, aren't they? An email, I don't know you. LinkedIn, I probably know you. WhatsApp, I really know you. Like when we yeah. we will talk on WhatsApp, but if I don't know someone, I'd feel more comfortable hitting them up on LinkedIn than I would on WhatsApp. If I, if yeah. I have yeah. so it's, yeah. it's the kind of no like trust. Like SMS used to be like LinkedIn, where I'd send someone a text if I wasn't that close to them. Rather, I wouldn't WhatsApp them. Hmm. Whereas now I'd probably LinkedIn message them if, if yeah, it's yeah. related, you know? I feel like email has become, I feel similarly about email as I do about voicemails. I don't know when the last time you even left a voicemail was. I can't even remember the last time I listened to my voicemails. It just feels so antiquated nowadays. Everyone sends you a voice yeah, note yeah, on WhatsApp or whatever. 
you just get them from weird sales companies like leaving you a yeah. 30 second yeah. or, or you get people doing it by accident and you hear them in the background in their office talking about you and then they're like, oh that was fun my dad leaves me voicemails by accident all the time in his pocket like, yeah, <laughs> a voice note on linkedin though is a game changer i use so, that all the time yeah so like exactly so swiping creating a voice note on linkedin is an authentic way to communicate to someone yeah i go through this a lot in my training academy and it can blow up your response rates because people will massively they hear you it's not some because the amount of automation in linkedin people are always looking you're always looking for a reason why someone didn't really write that to you or someone you're always looking to fucking ignore someone but when someone takes the time to send you a voice note which is the same as a voicemail just in a different place yeah you you again you you the reply rates are massive it's crazy you know i've got a i've got a big thing about the, the commodity of effort, I call it. Yeah. And whether it's subconscious or conscious, and more recently it's become a more conscious interpretation for me, when somebody makes the effort to do something and they take their time to do something, the equity associated to that activity will have more credibility. And I say this to my team all the time, take the time to do it, you know, slow down to speed up. The things that you do elevate the potential of that thing being successful. Just bashing spammy emails or in-mails out, you might feel as though you've done the job, but actually the likelihood is you're gonna get a low percentage response rate and you might actually be doing your reputation damage. Whereas if you take the time to make a voice note or compose a personalized approach to people, probability is, you're going to impress that person and they're going to, they're going to recognize the effort that you took to do it. You know, it's a, I always use the picture analogy. Well, I get, obviously I teach people how to use LinkedIn better for a living. Right. And and one of the things I I do is I don't tell them to use automation and automation is a, you know, is a great time saver. Like you can literally message so many people every day with, but I think I'd rather do less and do it well. I'd rather do five yeah. messages a day that come from me that are authentic because I can get the responses. So I'd rather get, I, I, I mean, I might go from five to 10 or 15 if I've got time, but yes, it's a numbers game, like like anything. The more messages you send out, and some people just love spamming email. They'll just email everyone. Yeah. And, and they, but I've never been that kind of character. I'd rather have a, a really manual but controlled process. Like I follow something called 2010.5. I do it every day. I teach my clients to do it every day. And it works, right? Um, Question on that. Like you mentioned, you know, I probably, I did impact your, the way you saw social media back in 2019. What is the actual tangible benefit to it? Because people think it's a vanity project. The people think, Mm. oh yeah, they just love it. The yellow people just love it. No, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what mine has been, but what do you, how would you describe your tangible benefits of putting yourself out there and being consistent on platforms like LinkedIn? Absolutely, mate. It's very tangible for me. Social capital is one of the commodities associated to success in the digital era that we live in. And what it does is it creates proximity to people and markets that without it, you'd never be able to reach. It gives you a consistent opportunity to establish credibility. And if you're doing it consistently enough, people feel as though they get to know you. You know, like it sounds silly to say this, Sean, but I've been in restaurants out here where people have come over to me. It happened recently with someone that's really senior in the broadcasting industry in Saudi Arabia. He came over to me, he said, you're Chris Redmond, aren't you? I said, yeah. And he said, do you mind if I get a picture with you? I'd follow you on LinkedIn. 
you know, brilliant BD, absolutely brilliant BD. And, and that's a bridgehead into my final and the most important point. And I know you're a massive advocate of this, mate. Making content for content's sake is vanity. It's about how you farm and harvest what comes off the back of that. And if you don't, it's the equivalent of having a digital orchard and not and not farming the apples. You know, it's a waste of time. It's a total waste of time. So, you know, that's what I think a lot of people are remiss at doing you know make the content absolutely but make it and then make sure you harvest the benefit because if you don't you're just wasting your time 100 percent. i was in belfast on a 40th weekend last week lost my phone totally different story annoyed the crap out of me but anyway first day i'm in this bar and this guy comes up to me and i'm like i've had a few guinness at this point and he's just like you're the recruitment podcast guy and i was like yeah. okay you work for Lawrence yeah. Harvey. I mean, if you're watching, thanks, mate. You can yeah. get a legal boost. But yeah, I get it all the time. I get it, I get it loads of I was in I go to Sheffield United games now with my in-laws, and I'm in this kebab shop at the end of the season. Sheffield United Brilliant. promoted. I've been drinking all day. I'm getting a lamb shawarma, and I'm stood at the front of the counter, and it's this cafe, this kebab shop's packed, and all I hear is Hoxo. <laughs> and it's just two hammered lads who have been on my my academy right in the past. Brilliant. I don't know them, and I'm just like, I mean, it is mad. And yeah. look, that's the funny stuff. But the reality is, you've got clients all over the world now, right? That you could never ah, have absolutely. From quick, and I've got clients in, you know, people listening to this show and working with me in New Zealand. I've never even been there. All over, and and it, it isn't a vanity project. It's about creating awareness, tracking the engagement, and following up, harvesting, following up, at, you know, and 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 opening doors, right? And that's what sells yeah. people. That's the best. And there's a there's a peripheral but tangible benefit as well, Sean. Which is, you know, we've got we've got 92 active clients at Red Hole, um, and there's a few other interesting stats that I'll share with you in a minute. But you know, even when you're not proactively BDing with those people, what it serves to do if you're regularly online talking about and creating value as well, you've got to be creating value. If it's just crappy posts, yeah. you know, people get frustrated and bored with that. But it keep it keeps you at front of mind with those people that you might not have spoken to for a month or two months or whatever. But if they're seeing you regularly, it keeps you front of mind. So when they do have an opportunity, they log on to LinkedIn, they see Redders again. To, uh, oh, I've got something for you. You know, I need you. Whereas otherwise, you just fall into the background noise of life. Yeah, you uh, reliant on phoning them every six months. Yeah, hundred percent. It's not always the new people. It's the it's the relationships you build. Like I know what you're up to all the time. You know what I'm up to. It's not. Yeah. You know, it's an eat you like. How's the baby like? It's an eat. It's a. It's a we're, we're staying abreast of each other. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it, you know, it's it's great. What one other topic, completely unrelated to work, is is fitness, right? And I've I've yeah. I've been on a journey since June where I've been changing my habits consistently. And it, and again, we're not even talking about this together, but I've watched you do a similar thing at a similar time. Yeah. And I want to find out more about it. So you've. Talk us through your journey because you look a hell of a lot different than you did even when I met you in March. Never mind. Oh. We, looking back on that video of four years ago. Yeah. Guy. So yeah. What's, been, what's been happening? So um, I went to I went for a medical in March or April this year. And I knew that I was carrying a bit too much timber. And at the back of my mind, if I'm totally honest with you, Sean, I probably knew the reasons why. You know, I've had a really turbulent last 10 years, bad divorce, a lot of dad guilt about not spending enough time with my kids, pressure of building a business. And, um, you know, I, I'd definitely been drinking too much, like, how much, how much too regularly. Well, you know, you've had a stressful day. 
you get home, you want to chill out, you have a glass of wine. The glass of wine pretty quickly turns into the bottle. And then too often with me, it was turning into two bottles, you know, well, and that like been... Tuesday or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a, n- a number of nights a week, you know. And Amanda, like... would, she, would she do it with you or not? Nah, not really. I mean, Amanda would have a glass of wine, but she's a bit more tempered than me, you know. And, and it'd be the same. It'd be the same if I went out for a beer. You know, my brother always used to joke. And say, so, you know, you drink three beers to every beer that I drink. Like you're, you're a beast. But I, you know, I've got a fundamental belief that people use alcohol to cover pain. And there was a lot of stuff that I was carrying. Anyway, fast forward, right, I was getting bigger and bigger. And if you look at the podcasts that we've done over the years, you can see that. I watched them back yeah. last night. I sent them to my brother. Actually, he was like, "Wow, look at you, fat boy." But, um, but so I went for this medical, and he said to me, "Look, Chris, you are." for your body composition and size, you should have about two liters of what they call visceral fat, your internal fat in your body. He said, you're carrying like six, six and a half liters of fat. That's pushing down on all your organs. It's increasing your blood pressure because your heart's working harder to push your blood around your body. He told me, he told me a few things about the chemicals that were in my blood as well. And he said to me, you're basically pre-diabetic. Like next week I could be prescribing to you uh, you know, insulin or whatever diabetic treatments. And he said, at your age, you can still fix this. But if you don't, in 10 years, you're definitely going to be on a number of different medications that you will be on for the rest of your life. And you're heading down a stroke, heart disease, heart attack. Yeah, totally. He said, absolutely, all of that, you know, and the diabetes thing. My granddad was diabetic as well. So I took that really seriously. And um, I came at I came out of there and you know, they say change happens in a second in your head. It's enacting it that takes time. I literally walked out of that clinic here in Dubai and the change had happened. I was like, I'm going to lose weight. So I was like 105 kilograms, something like that around that. I was always bobbing between 100, 110 for the last couple of years, just getting bigger and bigger. Um, and then since April, I've lost 35 kilograms. Um, just by, kilos. yeah. So, and, and now my zone is between kind of 72 and 77. And I weigh myself every day and I, I know what I need to do. Yeah, we're about the same. Because so I'm, I mean, I've never gone anywhere near, I've never got over 90, uh, 83 ever. Mm. But, I've, but I sit naturally, I'm five, nine and a half. If I don't like work on it, I will naturally sit about 82. Yeah. And I don't like myself at 82. Like I, I'm not fat, but I'm a bit round. I've never gone, I've never let myself go beyond that. And I don't drink in the much in the week and I've never... But I I was fighting fit in my early twenties in at seventy two kilos, and I've been thinking I want to get back to somewhere similar. And then I I stopped drinking a lot, changed my diet completely. I don't eat breakfast anymore. I walk everywhere. I train three times a week's weight. I followed this plan basically since June, and now I went to Belfast seventy four kilos, and then I came back seventy seven two days later. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's crazy. There's and three I've things I've done, mate. There's three. Five point two or something today. So we're probably very similar. But what have you? Yeah. Done? You manage that. That is insane. So, so it's the main thing. There's three things. Number one, I'm absolutely. I've just become more aware. Yeah. I'm absolutely amazed at how many calories we take on nowadays that you just don't need. You absolutely don't need them. Yeah, well, drinking's the next thing. So I haven't had a beer or a wine since April. If I do drink now, I just drink vodka, and I'll drink it with just vodka and soda water. Yeah, I haven't had a beer or a wine for six months. And the beer for me was the main thing. You know, it's like every beer you have. Huh? Do you not miss beer? 
No, not at all. I, I don't miss it at all. And, I, and it's because of that mindset I had as soon as I walked out of that clinic. Um, and then the other thing is I go for these like massive walks, like eight or 10 kilometer walks. And sometimes I'll do the lap twice. So I'll do a 16 kilometer walk, try and do that once a week. But I, I do the walk three times a week. So, you know, the number of calories you're taking on is much lower the amount the things that you're putting into your body much healthier and then you're exercising to get that kind of balance yeah. right and it's, it just fell off mate you know and i Walking feel so much more better i do like really high intensity and even the running my knees are screwed from running we've done a lot of running and i i tried to yeah. run every day last year i'm in better shape now and i've not run in 2023 once because well I'm sean walking, you know you, do you remember mate in lockdown i ran 10k a day i ran 10k a day in lockdown and I think one month I did the equivalent equivalent of seven marathons cool. and I was drinking a bottle of wine every night, at least. Because exactly. when you run and you, you, you're hungrier, so you eat more because you've yep. expended your exercise and then you think you deserve a drink. So you have yep. this like double whammy effect on it and then you go again. Whereas, I, I mean, I've, I will have a couple of beers. I probably have more, I'll have like six beers at a, week, a weekend. I'll have two on a Friday, two Saturday, two Sunday. Like I kind of yep. look forward to them. But I know how many calories are in a beer, which I never thought about yeah. before. It's like and a little bag of chips. And I'll, I'll have to eat less around it. Like, I have to. I can't have, like, the big fuck-off meal and the dessert and the beers. Like, I just I just won't do yeah. it. And, and not eating in the mornings. another one that I used to think breakfast was really important. And I'm like, fuck it. I don't. I, don't, I personally don't touch it. You're that. not hungry, yeah. No, it's but you know, the, the, now. I've not touched food. I will, I'll eat about one o'clock. No the other thing, mate, is since coming off the booze quite a lot my ability to reflect on my life to look forward on what i want to do with my life to just be you know better you know just better yeah. is, is like through the roof you know the businesses that i've started recently I've, i think i've got a direct correlation with my in, increased capacity to think through things and execute on things and make plans and think clearly about what i want to spend my time doing so yeah, mate, the benefits are absolutely amazing. And uh, and the, I don't think I've ever lacked confidence, but I do feel more confident now because I know I look better. What about Dubai, though, as a place? Like, is that not... <laughs> well, I think that... The brunch culture, like, it's so... Yeah. Good. On the other hand, I think it'd be the easiest place because the weather's... Every, every day you can go for a walk and not have to think... Like, yesterday, I wanted to go for a walk and the, the wind was so strong. It was like horizontal wind. I was like, I don't even want to go out. <laughs> Fuck that. I've, I've actually got a treadmill under my desk now that I walk on my <laughs> Um, I love that. So that, but Dubai has got every day you can genuinely guarantee you can exercise. But it's a choice. By God, it's a fun place to go and have a drink. So how are you managing that? Well, it's a choice, right? So for the first year, I just ballooned because I was absolutely loving the Dubai brunch lifestyle. And 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 you know now we live in an amazing apartment block there's a complex with some really cool bars and restaurants in the complex. So if I want to go for a drink there all i've got to do is get in the lift i don't even have to get in a taxi or anything like that and every night you know amanda would go to bed fairly early but i'll just i'll just pop downstairs and look at this amazing view while i sit outside and have a beer or whatever you know you're doing that more 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 nights than not and not exercising you're going to become a right fat boy like i did and where are you living now because you weren't you in dubai hills 
Yeah, so we're uh, no, not Dubai Hills, Emirates Hills. So we're in a, we're just over the road from Emirates Hills in a place called Vida, which looks out over the Emirates Golf Course. It's lovely. Um, it's a bit frustrating as a fanatical golfer to wake up every morning and look at other people playing golf when you know you've got a busy day where you're not going to play any. But um, yeah, it's a great it's a great place to be. Yeah, mate, I'm jealous. So, 35 kilos down, feeling good. You know, you like look, mate. You, you're doing a lot. You, you, and, and, and I think we are similar. Like we're, we're 100 mile an hour people. We've got you've got four kids. I've got three now, and I, there's a chance I'll have another. I, I always said, literally, I said to Lauren about an hour ago, like we're just talking about you coming on the show, and I was like, you know, his life's quite similar, and the two kids. And every time I know I'm talking to you, I'm like, I want to go to Dubai, and she's like, well, we're gonna do, we're gonna do it. Like we know we're gonna do it in 10 years time when Gabe and Amir yeah. are old enough. Um, and then I was like, do you think we'll have another kid? And she's like. Now I think we might. Like we both said no, but I think Amanda would. I think I'm I think, done. Yeah. <laughs> well, four I think is the number you got. <laughs> but you you know, you, you're running businesses, you're managing family, you've got kids, you've got you're trying to you're trying to be in all places. If you can stay mentally and physically fit, you've got a chance. If you let that go, yeah, everyone absolutely. Else what hundred percent final question for you then is 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 about the future because I think you're in a very different place than you were when we when, when we spoke before. You know, your business is more mature. You're seven, eight years in. You're internationally living, but you did mention earlier on that you're now you and Amanda now want. You know, you're on the same page. So talk us through this vision you've got for the future. Where yeah. are you heading? What do we? What can we expect from Red Hot? So Amanda's always seen Red Hot as a lifestyle business, and as much as I've enjoyed it being that, I've always had a vision to do something with it. You know. I was, I've been involved with private equity before in a number of different ways. Um, I went through the whole life cycle with NP Group when that transaction happened of creating the information memorandum, doing the beauty parades with the potential acquisitive entities. I loved it. It was a brilliant experience. I'd advocate it for anybody. And over the last six months or nine months, Amanda's got on the same page as me where we're, we're on an exit run, right? And... I've got a 24 slide document where I've really gone into a forensic amount of detail about where we've come from, where we are, and where we are at the moment. I've affectionately called the strategic gap, and I know exactly what we need to do to um, build a bridgehead to the trajectory that we need to get on to get to the multiple to shift the business. And um, and it's an empowering feeling because on a daily basis now with my business partner we're on the same page, you know, we're on the same journey. And I think that that makes our communications much more succinct. It makes the lens that we look at the business through a lot more succinct. And my role is evolving as well, Sean, you know, as we were saying earlier, I've always been the, the BD, like the BD engine sing, singularly. There's been no plural about it within Red Hulk. Um, But we've got to change that because otherwise that's a massive reason for someone to not want to buy or invest in Red Hulk. So we've got a couple, we're speaking to a couple of pretty big names at the moment about potentially coming in as non-exec directors. We received their proposals this morning and we'll be reviewing them later. And we're working on a whole host of things to do with the business that we need to change. We've brought in a guy called Paul Folland, who was my operations director when I was at NP Group. Uh, he's now client success director, and he's totally focused on the estate of clients that we've got, these 92 active contracts, 
and hunting and farming by creating value in the relationships with all of those entities because i'm convinced yeah. that the share of wallet we're taking there isn't 100 percent in all of them so yeah. there's a lot of there's a there's a lot to hunt and farm from there and then we've got a few people joining us in the new year that i hope we'll be able to get some uh, you know incremental logo generation going when it comes to the bd side of things and and you know net growth so you know you, know you need to you need to diversify who gets the new business and you need to work harder to, to generate more business from existing customers and previous customers. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, you know, we've got an amazing amount of latent potential within our existing consultants um, to, to be more BD focused, but it's kind of hard when they've never had to be. And then you ask them to turn on, on the tap and they've been so successful at delivery with this great methodology. And it's like, you know, you're speaking to candidates all the time. You only have to ask him a seven second question that might open the gate on that organization becoming our next client. So it's just about habitual practices and trying to weave it into the fabric of day to day to try and turn it. But that's the that's the North Star now. That's we've got a really clear plan. We know what the metrics are. The governance is really good. And, you know, I worked with James Kahn and the recruitment entrepreneur guys here for six months. Yeah. And um, and I learned a lot about the way a business is evaluated in the recruitment sector for investment or acquisition. So I just turned that and made it into a bit of a mirror and did the same evaluation on Red Holt. So I've got a really clinical view of all of the areas that we need to work on in order to get the business into a shape where the multiple we can generate in a transaction will be as optimized as possible. And how many people do you, because again, you've never been a headcount jockey. Like some clients no. think, higher, 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 higher. You've never been that, you know, your team's eight now and you're super profitable. You live an amazing life, but that probably will need to change a little bit. I imagine because yeah, it will ability in the team, right? If you, if you're too small and you're acquired the team, there's, there's, there's just not enough. Absolutely. One of the guys that's uh, hopefully coming in in the non-exec director capacity, I liked it actually, cause he got me to present to him on the business. Mm before he decides to associate his brand to Red Hole. And I thought, I like that. You know, he's protecting his brand, not just grabbing all the Ned jobs he can. And um, and he asked me a similar question. And we've got that growth forecast in line with the, the revenue forecast. We anticipate we'll get up to 15 or 16 heads. His input was, I think you'll probably need to be more. And I think what you need to start focusing on now is bringing in people and how you indoctrinate and train and incubate those people with your methodology. You need to prove, to your point earlier, Sean, you need to prove that that's scalable and that you can get people learning it. So we're actually developing a thing at the moment, an online learning management system called the RH Academy, uh, Red Holt Academy. And I'm pretty excited about that. But that's going to be the foundation of the program that me and the rest of the leadership team are putting pulling together that new starters will go through at Red Holt to become what we're going to call a Red Holt black belt. Hmm. Wow. Sounds exciting. Sounds Hopefully, exciting. mate. So the team in five years, how big do you think you'll be in terms of haircut? Uh, we won't be more than 20 people. I think we might need more than the 15 because, you know, we'll probably need more leaders to just manage the, manage the structure of the business there, but we won't be more than 20 people. Um, if we do the pop-up thing, the hybrid thing, that'll be part of the group. And then that would, to a large extent, that'll be determined by the ambition of the people that are running those pop-ups. Um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens and, and what and guidance we get from these NEDs. And what happens to you after that? So you, you sell it, you move on. What, have you got a vision for the next wave? Because you're not going to retire, right? You're too busy. You are. You're too energetic. Yeah. 
I haven't really. I haven't, you know, I, I've obviously got these other businesses and I, like I said, I get a new idea every week. Um, but I do really love lecturing. I love the MBA stuff that I do. I get a lot out of that. I love the connections that I make because like when I'm lecturing on an executive MBA course and there's 50 people on that course from all over the world, they're all executives. You know, it's uh, lecturing on that has been amazing for BD for me because a lot of them come to me afterwards and want to talk to me about their businesses and, you know, how they incorporate some of the principles that I advocate in the in the lectures into their business and inevitably they some of them use red hole so but i really get a lot out of that i like i like doing that a lot and if i could um do those sort of courses mbas or training in some sort of capacity you know that might be the uh the winter of the reddest career we'll see what happens i like it mate you're an absolute legend. Third time on the show. Thanks so much. If anyone ever wants to reach out to you, I know the answer, but you'll be okay to them dropping you a LinkedIn message and always, always, mate. You know, I believe if you if you give good, you get good. So if I can help people, I actually really like helping people uh, who would traditionally be seen as my competitors. You know, it creates good equity for your rep. So, this industry, I believe there's enough for everyone. Together, absolutely, more learn from each other. So look. Um, I'll make sure you're tagged in everything. Anyone who wants to reach out to Chris, I can genuinely vouch for the fact the guy will always get back to you pretty quick. And, and you know, that's probably why we've kept in such a great relationship. And we'll have you back on for part four, mate. We want to see how you get on with this journey. I want to make sure you're tracking. I'll, I'll hold you accountable, all right? Stay skinny. <laughs> stay skinny and stay profitable. That's the plan. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Sean. Thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Thank you as always for listening to today's show. I truly hope that you got value from it. Honestly, it's the only reason I take time every week to ensure that my audience, you guys, future and existing recruitment owners, you're learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. And today's episode is brought to you by my business, Hoxo. I'm the CEO and founder, and we're on a mission to help brand recruitment agencies and their people better. I wanna help people have the tools to stand out in the most competitive markets in the world. We're currently working with over 350 recruitment agencies and 5,000 of their consultants right now, helping them to build their personal brands to consistently win more business, attract talent, and just become that go-to recruiter in the market. Now we do have a huge coaching program, but a lot of people don't know, we also manage the brands of a lot of founders and we can do the rebrand of that company organizational piece as well. So if your recruitment agency either needs help to look and sound exactly how you want it to, or your leadership and consultant level need to get out there and drive more traffic back to that website, to the business and start using LinkedIn to generate more revenue, then you should definitely be reaching out to us. If that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean, a personal message on LinkedIn. I love hearing from RAG listeners. I would love to talk to you. Uh, look forward to it. So I'll see you again next week with another episode. Catch you soon.